I invite you to join me in On Fire with Linda Fields. It's a movement designed to calibrate, validate, and activate men and women like you who love God, putting your God-inspired passions and plans into action to carry out your callings in all seven spheres of influence. That's business and economy, government, education, family, arts, media, and church. On Fire with Linda Fills exists to help you complete your God-given assignments with a community of kingdom connections. Whether it's increasing your current sphere of influence or changing paths to walk into your purpose, if you want to set the world ablaze through Christ's power, join the movement at www.onfire.global. I am a roaring lamb in the time. Welcome back to Roaring Lambs. We're so glad that you've joined us today. I'm Donna Skell. And I'm Tiffany Ross. And we're here to share another amazing story about what God has done in someone's life. You know, a roaring lamb is someone who's unashamed of the gospel and wants others to know Jesus Christ. And we love presenting these amazing stories. So imagine this, you're in the ninth grade And just like every ninth grade girl, you're staring at the mirror, you're fixing your hair, you're you're doing those little things to get ready to go to school, and all of a sudden, whoosh, your whole bathroom is surrounded in flames and your body is engulfed in flames. Stay tuned, we're gonna be right back with this amazing story. Yeah, we're excited to have with us Linda Fields. Linda is an educator, she's a coach, she's an author, she's a podcaster. She does equip others to really be their best self. Uh, We're so excited to have her today. And I was reading her book, Finding Your Why Forward, and you had me on the first page. Your father's mother, father, sister, and brother were all killed in an accident by a drunk driver. I couldn't put the book down. I wanted to hear the whole story. So we're excited you're here, and we always like to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing. Well, thank you, Donna. I'm thrilled to be here with you ladies and talk about what God has done in my life and hopes that others will think about what God's done in their life, too. You do that so beautifully here. You know, the story you're talking about was about my dad's family, and and so tragically, I never met them because they uh, encountered this terrific accident that took all all of the family except my dad. He was not in the car. But sometimes in life, we have these very hard things happen. We all have them. The stories vary, and the situation is different for each person. For my dad, it meant losing his whole family. He was in college at the time, and I honestly think, Donna, that it made him the man he was, a strong, steady man of faith. In college, I wrote a paper about him, and I called him the oak tree, my dad, Mm -hmm. because his roots had gone down deep in the Lord, and I'd heard him tell this story all the years of my childhood, and I'd ask him, like, Daddy, how could you stand it, you know, to have your whole family taken Mm -hmm. from you? And he said, well, kiddo, he always called me kiddo. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, uh, God met me, and God took care of me, 
And he said, it seemed impossible, but friends came around me from college BSU days, uh, the, the organization he was a part of, a, a spiritual organization that blessed him, and he made it, you know, day at a time, step at a time. So I, f I feel like I had a strong spiritual heritage from my dad's walk with the yes. Lord from early on. And I remember your dad was going to seminary at one point and living in a boxcar. Yes, and he said it was so cold at night and you could hear the wind whistling through. Oh. And, you know, his, he didn't have a lot. His mm. dad had been a poor cotton farmer and he had known that kind of life, but he uh, did not have a lot of finances behind him. But he went on anyway, and he, he had <clears throat> originally thought he would be a teacher. And he even went to school for that and tried it. And then he just kept having this call of God on his heart, and he said he couldn't get away from it. And he was working as a janitor as well. And he went down to the basement because there was a roaring furnace down there. And he thought, if I can just get down there by that loud roaring furnace, this voice will go away calling me to be a preacher. <laughs> Yeah. And he said, uh, he went down to the furnace, but he said he could never get away from the call of God. And he said, Lord, I'm not a great speaker. I'm not a flamboyant personality. I don't know how I, you could use me as a preacher, but I will go if you uh, go with me. Yeah. And he did. That's neat. Linda, your dad just sounds wonderful, truly. Just a, a salt of the earth type of person. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your mom was like. My mom had uh, really two sides to her. Uh, they said when I was little, like a little baby beginning to talk, that I would look at her and say, sparkly, mommy, sparkly, because she had a very sparkly personality. Mm -hmm. And she also fought Great Depression. And so in the Great Depression, she was one of the sole breadwinners in her home. So she carried the load for her family mm -hmm. uh, in many ways growing up. And uh, I know that she even talked about my about divorcing my dad at times when things would be hard as a preacher's family and she had many battles that she fought with the depression but then on the other side she had such great love for me she convinced me I could do anything God wanted me to do and both my parents really are responsible for giving me a great start with my faith and uh, when I would need like money for college or something, I was going to make a new decision. Uh, you know, we'd all get down and on our knees on the sofa and, and just daddy, my daddy would say, kiddo, he said, there's no, God has all the resources of the earth at his disposal and there's no request we have that he cannot meet. So my Good parents reminder. loved God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, um, it's neat that you grew up as a preacher's kid, mm -hmm. but there still has to be that personal decision. When you invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, we can't get it through hereditary means. It has to be a personal decision. Tell us about that personal decision in your life. Well, you know, being a PK, Donna, I didn't know that it was supposed to be so terrible, so I actually loved the whole experience. <laughs> you hear so many <laughs> preacher's kids who hate being a preacher's kid. They're challenges for sure. But I, I loved going to church. We went to church on Sunday. We played church the rest of the week. I have a little brother that uh, was involved in that, and we just grew up loving the Lord and seeing it be real in our parents' lives. Uh, there came a day where we had a revival, and so back in the day, and on a Sunday on the revival, some wonderful cook in the church, for us it was Ms. Riley, made a, a big feast of fried chicken and all the staff and the pastors and the singers and the revival people and 
pastor's family went to lunch. So, you know, it was a highlight of, uh, I thought it was normal. And now I look back, what a rich memory mm. that is for me even today as we dream about our own days of revival coming. But um, on this particular day, I wore a really fancy dress my mom had bought me. She'd go to Joski's and hit the sale rack and it was a, a little red and white dress with a pleated skirt. And I went into the ladies' room at Ms. Riley's to wash my hands before lunch. And I saw something so fabulous, I thought, I must have this. And it was a little box of 12 golden, squishy <coughs> bubble bath beads. I'd never seen such a thing. I looked at them, I smelled them, I touched them, and I took them. <laughs> and I put them under my big full skirt, pranced out to the car and hid them under the seat. And my stolen goods were there just lurking in my life <laughs> and keeping me from ever being able to enjoy them, of course, because I knew I had sinned. I had stolen Ms. Riley's bubble bath beads. You know, and we like to kind of categorize sin and, you know, what's good sin, bad sin, little sin, big sin. You know, sin is sin. And so on the next Sunday, I heard my dad preach about the cross, and I'd heard it many times. But I'm telling you, I thought my heart would beat out of my chest when I heard dad talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Mm -hmm. So those bubble bath beads were no longer worth it. Mm -hmm. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and I was saved. Mm -hmm. And after that, I would baptize my little brother in the plastic pool repeatedly <laughs> uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost yeah. until he, he got saved and mended himself. But, you know, it, it was a true salvation experience, mm. and my sin was too heavy for my frail little soul, and Jesus forgave me and paid the price. And you never forgot that. No. Oh, mm -hmm. I love that. My mom has a similar story, where, and she grew up in a Pentecostal church. Okay. But she was very young, and she just felt the Holy Spirit touch her from head to toe. She was only maybe five or six years mm -hmm. old and has, yeah. was never the same since. So right. I understand that. Um, speaking of a moment you will never forget, <laughs> Donna alluded to it earlier. Tell us about that day when you were in ninth grade just getting ready for school in your bathroom. Yes. You know, because of the pressures in the, being in the preacher's family, my dad had moved us to another community and actually taken a different job, trying to give my mom a little margin, you know, to live life and do what she needed to do. And so we had moved to a town that I thought must have been as big as New York City. Looking back, it was such a small town, but we had been from an even smaller town. And I was getting ready for school, wanting to look good and make new friends like any ninth grade 14 year old girl. And I had on nylon stockings back in the day. I had a mini skirt laid out I was going to wear and I had on my bathrobe just getting my makeup and hair done. My uh, dad, in the moving of us so quickly, um, came in that morning to light the hot water heater. And what none of us knew is that tragically, butane gas had been leaking into the house all night long, or I don't know how long, but for mm. a long period oh, of time. Wow. And it had no scent or odor to right. it back at that time so there was no warning and so when my dad knelt down and struck that match to light the fire the whole room went up in flames and we found ourselves in an explosion happening all around us and in fact setting my legs on fire butane wow. as a gas remains low to the ground and then the nylon hose I had on mm. attract the flames as well 
somehow my dad got us out of that burning room. My mom had been in the back and wasn't burned, but we all ended up in the emergency room soon. And the whole first night, I was in shock looking back, but I felt myself rising up off the bed. Mm. And I kept thinking, I've got to fight to stay on this bed. That was what my mind mm. had running through it. What I didn't know is that it was all over town that the Lowe family, our maiden name, my maiden name is Lowe, L-O-W, the Lowe family has been in a fire and Linda is in trouble. My dad and brother had second degree burns. My mom couldn't handle it emotionally and ended up going with her mom just because of her frail <coughs> emotional state at that time. And so my legs were bandaged from mid-thigh down to the soles of my feet because I, I came to understand later I had third-degree burns mm. on my legs, which means all three layers of skin are gone. And, of course, it's a huge infection risk. I had other second-degree burns on my arms and wrists. And uh, my Sunday school teacher from the ninth grade uh, showed up in the emergency room. And I actually just visited her the other day. She's 92 years old. Wow. And that Sunday, she had sat in a circle with all of us teenage girls, mm. and she said, if you ever need me, if you end up on a, a dark, lonely road and you need help, or you end up in an accident, or something happens, you call me. And she actually told me just a few days ago that the emergency, this is a small town, that the emergency room personnel called her, Evelyn Cochran, and they said, Evelyn, get down here, Linda Lowe is calling for you. Mm -hmm. oh. And she came and sat by my bedside, put ice chips on my lips that were crusted out, and prayed over me as the prayer chains were going around the church. And that first night was the night that my life hung in the balance. I was transferred to a burn unit in Galveston. And I'm telling you, my world uh, seemed to have totally fallen apart. Being saved as a young girl, going through some of the things we did, I'd never run up against anything I couldn't quite figure out with the Lord, you know. But this was totally different excruciating pain day in day out in a hospital full of children lots of crying lots of trauma and I asked the Lord I said Lord did you see this fire did I do something wrong did you know what happened and these were just a kind of an ongoing dialogue deep in my spirit with the Lord I didn't have my Bible I didn't have anyone with me and the Lord met me in that time and he brought to mind a passage about the potter and the clay and how when the potter is shaping a vessel and it's, you know, in the heat and on the wheel. And I don't know what age I'd first heard this story, but I probably on a flannel board story maybe mm -hmm. so back in the day. And um, the part of the story that just changed everything for me is the part where it says, wouldn't it be ridiculous for the clay to sit up and ask the potter what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I just had this, this realization by the Lord's leading, that's what I was doing. So I said, Lord, forgive me for asking. Of course you were there. I wouldn't even be on the planet. That became very clear because I mm -hmm. understood how serious things mm -hmm. were then. Mm -hmm. But the prayers went on from that point to the fact that I said, well, Lord, you are the one who makes the lame to walk, make the blind to see. And by now, I knew I was headed for skin grafts. And that's when skin from another part of your body is placed over your injuries or the skin of a donor. Mm. And I had a roommate who'd been in an 
accident where a burning airplane crashed on her house. And my, I had a serious situation. She was like that from head to toe. And I'd watch her come and go from surgery after surgery of skin grafts. And I knew that was what was on the schedule for me. And I said, but Lord, I asked that you would heal my legs without skin grafts. And if you do, I'll tell everybody. It wasn't <laughs> like a bargain, but it was just yeah. what I told him. And um, soon I'd be in the room where all the doctors from around the world come in to study and be part of these incredible teams of burn doctors. And uh, they'd already told me what to expect about the skin grafts and when. And one day the, they looked at my legs and one of the doctors kind of adjusted his glasses and looked again. He said, <clears throat> I think that we need to watch this a little longer. It seems like little patches of skin are pulling together. <laughs> well, when he said that, and let me just tell you, everyone in a burn hospital looks quite atrocious because mm -hmm. of the scarring, the wounds, the mm -hmm. many things that uh, make it just quite a different world. But I sat up in all my <laughs> glory and scarring and scabbing, and I said, well, to all these doctors, <laughs> world-renowned <laughs> doctors, I said, the great physician is on my case. <laughs> Well, they're making notes, and I'm sure they're saying, like, call the psychiatrist, get this girl a counselor. <laughs> and, uh, and it just came out of my mouth. You know, I didn't plan it, but it was, it was the truth. And I never had a skin graft. Wow. Day wow. by day, a little here, a little there, the skin came back. I learned to walk again, and uh, the Lord gave me a testimony. That's amazing. Uh, so many parts of that are amazing, Linda. Uh, how long was that process from the time of the incident to where you felt you were healed and walking and back to normal? I think that was probably about two months, two and a half months, wow. perhaps. Wow. wow. That Pretty seems quick, quick quite mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. That is the Lord. Yeah. So one of the treatments they did for you, which to me seems very counterintuitive and painful, is they put you in a hot whirlpool? Over a hundred degree hot whirlpool twice a day and they would lower me in this tub and I you know I had to be carried and let down in and um, it was very painful and the thought at that time was that this would fight infection oh wow and so it was very traumatic wow but speaking of that you had a divine appointment I did. in a taxi cab I tell did. us about that and how the Lord brought that full circle the miraculous thing is that God was healing my legs without skin grafts. He was helping me walk again, but there were things happening I had no idea about in the spiritual realm about how God was taking care of me. And I found it out probably in my 40s when I was at a convention as a, a university business teacher. We would go off to training conventions. And I was in Chicago and at a convention and sharing a cab with a gentleman who happened to be going to the same hotel. And so the, you know, the cab driver says, who's going to the Marriott or whatever it was? And, and we both said, we are, and we agreed to share. So in the cab, uh, we ask each other why we're there. And he says, why are you here? And I said, I'm here for a training convention. I'm a business professor. And I said, what about you? And he says, well, I'm a burn doctor. Oh. And I'm here for a convention. And I'm thinking, you just think you're here for a convention. <laughs> you're here for the cab ride with me. And yes. I was able to tell him my whole story. And when I did, I could watch how shocked he was about the healing. So I explained it all. And he would look out the window 
and looked back at me and he said, well, that doesn't usually happen. I said, right. I was just letting him kind of <laughs> soak in this newfound uh, truth account, going counter to everything he knew, right? Yeah. And so then he said, uh, he wanted to know more. He said, well, what happened? How did they take care of you? What were your treatments? And I said, well, the one treatment I'll never forget are these extremely hot, over 100 degree whirlpools I was lowered in twice a day. I said it was very painful and quite traumatic, honestly. And uh, I said, I don't remember the names of any medicines, but that I'll never forget. So he looked at me, and then it's just like he had to get his wits about him for a moment. He looked out the window of the cab for a second, and then he came, our eyes met again, his gaze came back to me, and he said, ma'am, he said, I just have to tell you that we do not do that anymore. Over 70% of the people who had that treatment died of septic shock because it was found to rapidly spread infection. Oh, my goodness. When he said that, the Holy Spirit just filled the cab. I had chills over my whole body, and he was having his own difficulty mm. <laughs> reckoning with the fact he's in the cab with this woman who survived all this. And I, I felt like the Lord just impressed my spirit. He said, I feel, I feel, I don't know if God's a Texan. That's <laughs> like you said, girl, you know some ways I've taken care of you, but I have protected you in ways you have no idea. So just that security that God is for us. And what if I'd been bitter from the time I was 14 to 40? I wouldn't yes. have told this cab driver anything. I wouldn't have had a story to tell. And so I love the idea that God has us when we can see it and that God has us even when we cannot, and that it's not worth letting that uh, difficulty in our own minds come between us and the Lord. Not for I, over five minutes. I say set a time limit. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Linda, maybe we haven't been in an actual fire, mm -hmm. but we've all been through fires in our life, whether it's some health issue or a relationship mm -hmm. issue or financial issue. Uh, you learned a lot about life and about God through your fire experience. What would you say were some of the main lessons that God taught you through that? You know, that is a great question, Donna, and it's something that's really driven and shaped my life since that time. Mm -hmm. Many of us make a life story out of the fire or the fiery trial. You know, we write the books, we tell the stories, we do the podcasts about the big terrible thing that happened. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We need to share pain, but we need to learn from our pain. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as finding the blessings from your burns. Uh, mine was a physical fire, you're right. Others have emotional, financial, right. relational, all manner of, of fires. It's uh, how life is. There are ups and downs. And when, uh, when people can understand there will be fires, it just kind of takes the edge off the fact that just because God loves you, it doesn't mean you will right. never encounter a hardship. Mm -hmm. Actually, quite the opposite is true. We have fiery trials. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the right. fiery furnace where they said, <clears throat> if God brings us out, great. And if he doesn't, great. You know, the result is the Lord's. And when uh, the next morning everybody came to see their pile of ashes, they see not only the three walking around in the fire, but the fourth man mm -hmm. in the fire. Mm -hmm. 
I believe, uh, Donna, that that fourth man in the fire is what we should be looking for, no matter what the fiery trial, because God is with us in ways we had no idea. And when we lean into that, the Lord brings us through the fire and to the other side of the fire. And I see it as a whole different kind of fire, a holy fire and passion for living and testifying to the fourth man in the fire. So I encourage people to go deep with God about their life, their life purpose and passions. He made each of us with a, a specific call that brings us th not only through the fire, but to the other side yeah. where God's glory uh, is just ready to be shown through our lives and our words. Yes. Good, real good. I love that so much. And you know, one of the things that we get to enjoy once we get through that fire, um, just some of the blessings that God will bring mm -hmm. our way um, not just the lessons learned, but uh, one of the blessings is Rick, your husband, who is just such a dear. He was here before we started filming and just so supportive and prayed with us. And um, tell us how you met and also the day you found him unconscious on the floor. Yes, the Rick feels. He is a great man. We call him the Rick man uh, in our uh, house. And I also call him a hunk of hunk of burning love. He is cute. You know, <laughs> that song, this is the man. We met in junior college. And uh, I'll be honest, when I came through the fire, I always wondered who would love me because I did have quite a bit of scarring. It's lessened over the years. But, you know, to a young girl, you think your looks have mm. so much to do, if not everything at that age, you know, with uh, who you're going to love or find who loves you. And uh, Rick and I met in BSU. I found out later he came because he'd seen me in BSU. He had an ulterior oh. motive in our college prayer group. But um, I came to see something in Rick that uh, was his own fire, and that was the fact that he was diagnosed as di uh, type 1 diabetic at a very young age, five years old. He's actually a walking miracle because all of these years, now as we've had our children, raised our children, and are so involved in what we're doing, doctor after doctor will be amazed when he comes in for his checkups. He likes going because he can testify. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you don't have the ramifications that most people would have by this time. Mm -hmm. And so we always tell the doctors, we're not living by statistics. We're living by the Word of God. Amen. And so he had a faith of his own. And uh, even though God has protected him, it doesn't mean there aren't trials. For a type one diabetic, there's a lot of monitoring of your body to do. He uh, has to run his sugar, blood sugar, several times a day. He has, there's lots of technological developments now that make all that much easier than it used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, take insulin injections. His mom used to have to boil glass needles mm. in a pan on the stove. I mean, that's how it started. Mm -hmm for him. And so I came to learn very quickly in our dating relationship what the signs were of a low sugar or if he became uh, confused or uh, in the case you're talking about, I found him literally passed out in the bathroom. He uh, had gone to wash his hands before dinner and then I found him in his clothes just laid out in the tub, out unconscious. And he had had a virus which was keeping his body from using his food nutrition. We didn't understand that at that young age. Yeah and his insulin was in over, overdrive, and so he was in a, a reaction he couldn't get out of on his own. So he had to call an ambulance and have an IV of sugar to bring him back out of that. Um, another time in the night, you know, that's the most uh, tenuous time for a diabetic is wondering what's gonna happen when you go to sleep mm. and will your sugar mm. plummet while you are asleep. 
And so that's why these new devices help you with that. But we didn't have any devices like that then, but we had prayer. And in our early married days, uh, we were asleep. And in the middle of the night, uh, I heard this melodious, beautiful singing. And it woke us up. But when I turned to look at Rick, he was in a cold sweat and was in a low sugar reaction. And so we got up, got him the sugar. We were able to handle it with juice and sugar ourselves without any emergency calls. But as we were sitting at the bar and he was feeling better uh, there in the kitchen, I said, what woke you up? And he said, I heard a singing. And I said, I did too. And we both realized we'd heard beautiful, melodic, angelic singing mm. in the night mm. that woke us up. Wow. So God's watch care over all of us is so mm. amazing when we just uh, look for it yes. and acknowledge it. Oh We're grateful. Goodness, just to hear how the Lord has guided you, protected you, yes. woven different things in your life, Linda. And I think about just the business that you're in together and how God even prepared you early on for what you're doing now. It's so hard to find your profession oftentimes, especially in your young mm -hmm. 20s, right? Yes. You want to conquer the world and you're not quite sure how and you want it to happen by tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had looked on the bulletin board at the college at Southwest Texas State in San Marcos, now called Texas State, where I later got an MBA and taught and uh, we were both there in school. There was a job ad on the board for a manager of a sporting goods store. And Rick was athletic and he was a business major and so we uh, checked that out. Actually over the next few months and early uh, one, two, three years, we ended up buying that store, renamed it The Field House. And uh, our girls were in our advertising. We'd have their pictures in the college newspaper wearing the Texas Bobcat shirt. And it, it was just a really precious time. And what happened then, I'd be working on my MBA classes that tell you, okay, you should teach people in personnel management to leave all their personal issues at home and just come in and do the job. And it was all very stoic and chop top, mm -hmm. right? And there we were hiring all these college kids that were a couple of years younger than we were that we were falling in love with. And so they would work long hours with us, help us with the children, come home with us for cookouts and our lives were totally melded. Mm -hmm. Back in that time, nobody used the term marketplace ministry mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. And, but what I look back at now is God was shaping us for that right from the get go by watching our college kids that were employees get saved. Uh, years later, a young man called Rick and he said, Rick, I need your address. I need to send you 10 bucks. And Rick's like, okay, why? He said, well, it's for those tennis balls I stole from you. <laughs> and he said, we watched how y'all managed the store and led the store. And, you know, we learned our faith there. We cut our teeth on our faith. So being in business through our own store, through teaching at the college level, Rick later taught in the prison systems of Texas and was one of the first positive male role models many of these men have seen. That's great. And we have a stack of letters where they've written him thanking him for teaching them about life. Uh, many young people are searching for a mentor and it's not just young people. People right. my age and older will say I never had a mentor. Yeah. And uh, one of the things Rick and I see is that God has used our business experience to allow us to mentor people mm. uh, in various ways but uh, the business thing keeps showing up, you know, yes. and we coach young men, usually in their 30s and 40s, uh, who come to us and say, we wanna learn the life skills and the spiritual 
planning uh, skills that you have for our businesses and they're seeing great results with their families, their churches, and their businesses. God's about all of the spheres yes. of our life, not just a compartmentalized little cut out piece of the pie on Sunday, right? right? Yes, and speaking about families, I know that you lost your mom at an early age and your dad started a whole new career after that. So <laughs> let's go back to your folks for a moment and uh, tell, tell our audience a little bit about that. You know, I think I was 31 when my mom passed away, and it was very hard on me. Same Donna. age as I was. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't imagine life without her. We were bonded in so many ways, and you know, I had been crying for a good while, mm -hmm. and and a friend said, Linda, do you think you have a problem with grief? <laughs> I remember that day, and I looked at him. I said. Yes, I do. And I said, and if I didn't, what would I have lost? Yeah. But uh, I mourned her passing greatly, but she left such a mark on me. And in the time we had influenced me more than I'm, I would imagine some mothers do in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. My dad uh, is such a gentleman, always wore a suit and a hat with a little feather in it and uh, dressed to the nines. And he was just made to have a woman on his arm, you know? <laughs> And so after my mom passed, he uh, married actually two more times. He kept out living all his wives. You know, we would laugh about it. But um, when he finally decided to quit pastoring, he was 80. That was his last pastorate in a little uh, town where there was a boat marina. And they built a beautiful new little church. Windows had come in somehow from England, beautiful blue stained glass windows. and. Uh, his wife then would teach Sunday school on the fire truck right next doors where the children would climb all around this little bitty community. And so one day he called me and he said, kiddo, I think it's time for me to turn this church over to a younger pastor who can bring in the families and, uh, you know, concentrate on the children. And he said, so, and I'm like, okay, dad. And, and he said, so I'm thinking what I might do next. And uh, that didn't surprise me because dad's always looking out you know isn't he didn't just live his life looking inward right. we we do both right if we have a healthy balance and he said uh, I've been down to the mall well I'll tell you when he said that my heart kind of like stopped I'm like my dad working at the mall at 80 I mean like you know what if some teenagers mean to him or what if <laughs> I was imagining all these things I was protective over him and he says yeah he says but I'll tell you uh, honey he said what I really think I've found that will suit me best is at Chick-fil-A. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm still trying to picture the scenarios, you know. And, and uh, he said, yes. He said, what I think I can do that will serve them best is to be their new sample man. <laughs> and what I want to communicate here, a lot of people would come up to my dad because he just had a steady character. They would just see him walk in a restaurant or in the community and want to know him and who he was and just who, who he was. You know, he was somebody in the Lord. And he knew that. So he had this quiet confidence that um, was always present. So that same confidence is what he took from the pulpit of years, mm -hmm. leading so many little churches all over South Texas, into his role as the proud, dignified, simple, sample man yes. at Chick-fil-A. He did that for 10 years. And people came in, and just because he was there, uh, pastors would come in and visit with him and have Bible studies with him. And he retired at 90 from that. 
They brought the Chick-fil-A cow in for the party and yes. had a big cake. Uh, but for my dad, that job shift was no demotion. Right. See? Right. Mm -hmm. Because he had done the work back when he lost his family mm -hmm. to find out who he was in God mm -hmm. and to carry that confidence and peace through many trials, ups and downs of life. And at his funeral, men from all walks of life stood up and they said, I want to be like Herbert Lowe. Mm -hmm. I want to love Jesus like mm -hmm. Herbert Lowe. And these were men from, uh, some of them had presented patents and statements before Congress as uh, what a statesmen. Others were pastors down the street. Others were neighbors. But they all had that common thread that they'd seen, by, seen somebody live a life who knew who Jesus was yes. and who knew who he was to Jesus. Yes. So my mentor, my dad, passed away in 2012, mm. which was a... a uh, quite a homecoming for him, I know. I'd ask him years ago, I said, Daddy, I don't really know how I would live without you. And he said, Honey, he said, I look at it as a graduation. And mm -hmm. he said, um, It's, it's going to be all good. You're going to be okay. And uh, so I don't know how it was for you, Donna, but I found that when I lost these people that were so yes. important to me, um, God gives you the grace in that moment. It's like you don't know if you have it before. You wonder. Right, right. But in the moment, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. the Lord meets us. Yes, and, and He uses the memories to carry you on. For sure. So, Linda, bring us up to date on what's keeping you busy now and uh, how is God using you at this point in your life? I love, Donna, that God never puts us on a shelf and says, right. okay, now that you're at this point or that point, that's it. Just coast on out. Right. God's not into coasting. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, he gave me a lot of energy. I, I read something uh, Paul said in the Bible where he said, I thank God for this boundless energy. And I thought, praise the Lord. It's in the Bible. It's <laughs> a good thing to have energy. <clears throat> Rick and I have just gone through a process where we have renamed the latest thing we're doing to onfire.global mm. and we know God has brought us through many fires of life and is now giving us a fire to help men and women li live their lives fully on fire for Jesus mm -hmm. in all seven spheres of society. We do that with events, with coaching, uh, with conversations and shows like this and we want to see as many people as possible grab that fire of passion God's put within them and not settle, especially in our world today with the confusing messages that yes. people are trying to sift through with the difficulties of the 2020 pandemic and whatever else is happening now, it changes everybody every five minutes. A lot of people have lost their way. They're losing mm -hmm. their compass. They're, they're disconcerted. Mm -hmm. They're not focused anymore. They're wondering what's even possible in this new world. And what I like to say is that the dreams God put in your heart, he didn't change his mind, mm -hmm. right? And uh, he is for you, and he has a way forward. And so this trial, these fires, these difficulties only serve to help us sharpen our fix on the Lord. Yes. And he has great revival things for us to all be involved in. Mm -hmm. And fulfilling our passions is what we should all be doing at any age and at any stage yes. of the trajectory of yes. history. I think, quite honestly, that we're quite honored to be on the planet at this time. And that the Lord is looking for those. You know, the scripture, uh, I think it's in Chronicles, says the Lord's eye ranges right. through the earth. Right. Looking for those who are totally his in their hearts. Once we do that, mm -hmm. 
yes, get saved when you get convicted over the bubble bath. <laughs> yes, go to the revival. But day in, day out, uh, come to the Lord with our total eye, total gaze fixed on Him. Right. And let Him meet us in that and bring us through the fire and put us on fire for Him right. in such a way that truly will transition us to a, a society that's much better because we've lived that way. But it does start with a personal conviction to invite Jesus into yes, your life. Does. And I don't know where you are spiritually, but I hope you've been listening and I hope that you're challenged to see the difference that Jesus has made in Linda's life. And <clears throat> maybe you're even thinking, I wish I had that kind of confidence in the Lord or relationship with the Lord that, that Linda has. Well, you know what? It's never too late. God can be using this show and have you watching it for that very reason, to give your life to him and let him show you what he can do with your life. It's real easy. All you have to do is bow your head and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to come into my life. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins and that I can come to know you personally and have a personal relationship with you. You know, it doesn't really matter how you word those thoughts, but just asking him, Jesus is holding out his hand to you right now, and he wants you to put your hand in his. Won't you do that? Uh, and uh, Linda, I know, would be glad to visit with any of you personally. You can check out her website at onfireglobal.com. I'm sure she'd love to connect with you. You can find her books on amazon.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can reach out to Tiffany and I at info at roaringlambs.org. Or you can even call us on the phone if you'd like to chat. 972-380-0123. We want to make sure that you can become a roaring lamb, but first you have to know Jesus. So uh, for Tiffany and I, thank you for watching. And our hope and prayer is that you will go out and roar about the goodness of God. OnFire.Global is a movement made of men and women who understand that past plans won't work for the future. We're in a new time and a new place that requires us to fan the flames of vision to a whole new level, going all in with God like never before. So fire up your purpose, come find your people, and frame up your plans to set the world ablaze together with me at www.onfire.global.